Welcome to Sports School. I'm your host, Coach Dwayne, just a regular teacher with a sports mind coming off of spring break. Baseball's back in swing. NBA's in swing. NFL's got deals going left and right, including one right before the recording of this. Uh, And what more appropriate way to start the show than with that right there? Uh... And it's going to lead us into our explanation. Why is there a teacher doing a sports podcast? Well, quite frankly, because I realized that I might be getting old. Just maybe. Um, I was super excited uh, because I'm a child at heart still. Uh, that Space Jam 2 is coming out. Just watched the trailer over the weekend. Um, was explaining that to my students when my students could not fathom why I was so excited about Space Jam 2, I had to inform them that if I saw any of them, uh, they would be getting elbowed out of the way. I've been waiting over two decades for this sequel. So, uh, everybody, move. Because Coach Dwayne is trying to watch Space Jam 2. I'm just be moving little kids out the way. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm a child. And I'm unashamed. I love Space Jam 1. Absolutely unashamed. Absolutely unashamed. Uh, so excited for Space Jam 2, excited for the 20th episode of Sports School, um, it's a real thing, uh, it's super exciting, we're gonna talk, um, a lot of different topics today, talking about, uh, talking a little NFL, talking some baseball, college basketball, of course, with the, uh, championship game tonight. Um, some questionable calls in college basketball going on here recently, both in the women's and the men's game. Uh, gonna talk a little bit of NFL. Um, gonna get into some debate about who should the number one overall pick be in the NBA draft when that comes up. Got a fun guest today. He was my roommate in college. Um, so, getting get in, getting get into quite a bit, quite a bit today. So, let's just jump right in. Let's start handing out grades. The A for on the 20th episode of Sports School goes to a legend. Larry Legend, to be exact. That's Larry Fitzgerald, who it's starting to look like is going to call it a career. So, the A goes to Larry Fitzgerald's career. Um, crazy to think that he might be underrated. Um... Over 1,400 career receptions, 17,000 career yards, second all-time only to Randy Moss, or um, Jerry Rice, I'm sorry. I was reading the name Randy Moss in my notes. Only to Jerry Rice, 120 total touchdowns, I think 121 to be exact, sixth all-time. And this is my favorite Larry Fitzgerald stat. Larry Fitzgerald in his career has 39 tackles. 39 tackles as a wide receiver. This is probably due to interceptions and he had to tackle the guy fumble recoveries had to tackle the guy 39 career nfl tackles 
29 career NFL drops. 29 drops. And he's a wide receiver with 14,000 receptions. And he dropped less than 30 total passes, has 10 more tackles than he does drops in his illustrious career. Um, And I have him uh, on my list as probably the fourth. I have him as the fourth best wide receiver of all time. Uh, I'm a lot higher on Larry Fitzgerald than a lot of people. Um, I have him fourth behind Jerry Rice, Calvin Johnson, Megatron, um, uh, and Randy Moss. I do think Larry Fitzgerald is very, very overrated. Going to be interested to see the comments that I get on saying that Larry Fitzgerald is the fourth best wide receiver uh, of all time in my eyes. But model of consistency never jumped around from team to team. Uh, stayed with the Arizona Cardinals, was the face of that franchise, um, and never really got the hype in the, the pub that a lot of other players did. If he played in Dallas, does Larry Fitzgerald get more recognition? If he plays in L.A., does he get more recognition? Uh, one of the New York teams, does he get recognition? He had the opportunity to do that, had the opportunity to leave Arizona, chose not to, started his career there. It looks like he's going to end his career there last year, potentially being his last season. And the man's a legend. Like I said, I have him fourth best wide receiver of all time. So the A on this 20th episode of Sports School goes to Larry Fitzgerald and his career as a whole. Just like I said, model of consistency. Um, never any drama around Larry Fitzgerald. Um, at him and Anquan Bolden, uh, just a dominant duo. That Cardinals team was fun to watch with uh, Kurt Warner and just tons of fun. One of the things I will always remember about Larry Fitzgerald is he looks up at the uh, the Jumbotron and watches his own touchdown, which is fantastic, while running it into the end zone. So love that. Um, sad to see his career end. It looked like it was going to be likely. He still had almost 400 yards last year. So I think if he does come back, it's going to be with Arizona, and, and he, he, he could play a role. He could play a red zone role, I think. Big 6'4 target. Uh, line him up at the slot. He probably still has the footwork to get open. Um, he's going to command attention, especially when you got D Hop. Um, so I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. The B for today goes to the two way superstar for the Anaheim Angels, who I told you in the superlatives episode, the Angels would be the most likely to. Uh, exceed their expectations. Shohei Otani um, last night, same inning, he throws a 100-mile-an-hour fastball to get a strikeout, comes up in the pitcher spot, first time the in a, that an American League team chose to, to forego the designated hitter, not use the DH, and not only that, Joe Madden puts his starting pitcher in the two-hole, um, and in the same inning after he touches 100 with a fastball, um, he absolutely smokes a high fastball um, with about 100, I think it was 111 mile per hour exit velocity up in the zone. Probably was a ball. It was probably, I mean, it probably was not a strike. And Otani still manages to barrel that up, put it over the wall for a home run. Uh, If Shohei Otani, if Shohei Otani can 
do this. If he can keep this up. Um, it will be interesting to see. You know, where does he fall in the. Uh, you know, where does this season fall? Like he's he's. Looks like he, he can be dominant on the mound. The potential is there for him to dominate as a a pitcher. Um, and, and he's off to a, a hot start going all the way back to spring training when he was knocking the cover off the baseball there as well. So um, a lot of opportunity for Otani in an Angels lineup where he's fairly protected. He's batting, I believe, in front of Mike Trout. Um, so he's going to get pitches to hit. It looks like I became I got disconnected uh, on Facebook. So let me reconnect real quick so we can get that audience back involved. So, yeah, so Shohei Otani gets a B. Um, he actually goes out of the game on, on a kind of scary collision, especially for a guy who has injury issues. And it's going to be interesting to see. Today is actually Otani, I think, his first day off since the season began. So it's going to be interesting to see if Joe Madden continues with this use of Shohei Otani. What is he going to do when they play in National League ballparks? Because Otani is DH'd. Every game, again, other than today, where he was not pitching. So when they go play in the National League, is Otani automatically going to sit? He's going to be used as a bat off the bench. Um, obviously, it's different when he's pitching, but, you know, will he play first base? Will he play in the outfield? It's going to be interesting to see because, especially if he continues on this pace um, that he's currently at now, especially at the plate, he, he's just been absolutely dominant off to a hot start for the Angels. They're going to be an interesting team to watch with Otani, um, Trout, you know, the, is this Pujols' last year that you're going to want to tune in to watch an all-time great in Pujols? You know, can Justin Upton find that power stroke again? So that team's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Dylan Bundy was a first-round pick not that long ago. Can he find his form? Uh, but Otani... Dominant on the mound, couldn't quite go five innings, but his, his pitch count did get run up. He's coming off of that arm injury, but he did hit the home run uh, to give himself some help. Uh, and and Otani is an interesting player to me. This is another example of Major League Baseball not taking the not taking advantage of an opportunity to market its players. Um, the NBA does a great job of marketing in Asia without Asian players, with the exception of Yao Ming um, and Jeremy Lin. But even before those two, they did a great job of marketing in Asia. Baseball has Asian players that they could use to market, not only in Asia, but to Asian Americans as a way to jumpstart popularity in their sport. And Major League Baseball just doesn't do it. They are just absolutely horrid um, at... At marketing, it's really, really sad. It's really, really, really sad. But moving on, 
so Otani gets the B again. If he had gone a little bit longer into the game, uh, he could have got a higher grade, but it's really hard to compete when it sounds like um, Fitzgerald's going to retire. So Larry gets the A. Otani gets the B. The C goes to Sam Darnold and the trade in general. So Sam Darnold goes to the Carolina Panthers, who trade a sixth-round pick this year and a second-round pick next year. And Sam Darnold is interesting to me because do you hold it against Sam Darnold that he played for the Jets? Not a good offensive line. His best weapon um, when he played for the Jets was probably... When healthy, it was Quincy Anunwa, but Anunwa couldn't stay healthy. Um, so then it became Robbie Anderson, who, as we saw since Robbie Anderson has ironically gone to Carolina, is best suited to be a number two option. He had an over-the-hill aging Le'Veon Bell. He had a fresh-out-of-the-nursing-home Frank Gore. It, the Jets didn't really do much of anything to help Sam Darnold. And so now he goes to the Panthers in you know, a second next year, a sixth this year. They're probably going to trade Bridgewater now, you would assume, uh, to try and recoup some of those picks. But it, it, it is interesting to me because Darnold could be Teddy Bridgewater 2.0. Or you could have just struck diamonds in a field of mud because there was nothing around him with the Jets. Nothing could go right. His line was terrible. Running backs are awful. Wide receivers were not good. Tight ends were not good. The defense wasn't that good. And, and it seemed to always be Sam Darnold's fault that the that the Jets were losing. It's Darnold's fault. It's Darnold's fault. Now, Darnold has an injury problem. So can he stay healthy with the Panthers? Uh, he has more passing yards than... Former MVP Lamar Jackson, they came in in the same draft. He has a very similar completion percentage to Josh Allen, who they come in in the same draft. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens now that you take Sam Darnold out of a, a, a horribly run organization with the Jets. You put him with a, a, a what looks like a good offensive mind um, duo in Matt Rule and Joe Brady. I think he's an upgrade over Bridgewater. He's going to take more chances than Bridgewater is, which can be good and it can be bad. You know, so so it's going to be interesting to see is Sam Darnold just not as good as we thought he was or were the Jets making Sam Darnold worse? I tend to think it's more the latter. I like this move. Even as a Falcons fan, I think this is a good move for Carolina. They don't give up a lot um, and they get a guy who at, at worst, is the same quarterback you had last year. So you don't get any... You, you, your floor is pretty much where you're already at. But the ceiling is much, much, much higher than that of Teddy Bridgewater. So should be interesting to see what the Panthers do. Um, they have a better offensive-minded coach. They have better weapons. You have McCaffrey... You have DJ Moore. You have aforementioned Robbie Anderson. So, And you got an offensive mind in Brady who draws up good plays. So we're going to see this year, because Carolina is going to pick up that option on his contract, and is Sam Darnold just not good 
and was not as good as we thought he was going to be coming out of USC? Or were the Jets that bad? It's starting to look, I mean, at this point, they traded Darnold. They're taking a quarterback at two. It looks like it's going to be Zach Wilson. Um, I don't, again, that's a, we're going to, I'm going to do a simulcast. Shout out to the Marlin versus Marlin podcast. I'll be on with them. Um, We're trying to plan a simulcast. Uh, where we'll talk NFL draft, I'm sure. Uh, and you'll get my opinions on Zach Wilson then. But it looks like that's who they're going to pick. Um, so they're definitely going to go quarterback. We're going to learn a lot about Darnold. Um, and it'll be interesting to see what the Panthers do with Bridgewater now. Do you do you keep Bridgewater because Darnold has an injury history? Or do you trade Bridgewater? And is there a team out there that will trade for Teddy Bridgewater? Um, <clears throat> you could... I th- could see Teddy Bridgewater... Uh, going back to the Saints, if, if he's released, I don't think the Panthers are going to trade with New Orleans. <clears throat> but if he's released, I could see him going back to New Orleans. Maybe the Jameis experiment doesn't work. And you know that the Bridgewater experiment with Sean Payton works down in New Orleans. So if he's released from Carolina, I think he signs in New Orleans. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see. Can the Panthers get a team to trade for uh, Teddy Two Gloves, and who is that team? Who is that team going to be? Um, so that should be interesting. So the C is kind of a eh deal. We're, we're going to find out. We're going to see as the season progresses, does this grade get higher uh, because the Panthers went and got themselves a quarterback, uh, or does it get lower? I do think this also signifies that the Panthers couldn't trade up. I don't think... I think the Panthers were looking quarterback in the draft. I don't think they found an opportunity to trade up um, Atlanta's pick. And I'm, I'm a Falcons fan. Seems to be like the most interesting pick in the NFL draft coming up. I think Carolina in a perfect world would have loved to have been there. Um, does Denver trade up? Do the Patriots trade up? Um, Going to be interesting to see that. Chad, Welcome. Chad, he's been on the podcast a couple times. He says in the comments, Chad uh, says Teddy Bridgewater to Dallas uh, or Seattle as a backup for either. I think that would be a great spot because, you again, you got two running quarterbacks. You got two quarterbacks that like to run, and your running quarterbacks have a chance to get hurt. I'm going to tell you, I could see Bridgewater going to Houston. That one uh, would make sense as well uh, as a contingency plan with whether you trade Deshaun Watson or not. Uh, my sister is in the comments. I have not talked. I have not. Not yet. I'm going to talk Carolina basketball later um, with my former roommate from college uh, when he is on. So, yes. So, Darnold uh, to the Panthers. We're going to see as it, as the, the year goes on. Does this move up? Does this move down? The D grade goes to Russell Wilson who's been in the new, he wants to be in Seattle. He doesn't want to be in Seattle. He wants to be in Seattle. He doesn't want to be in Seattle. He's complaining about his offensive line. He's complaining about his defense. And now he comes out and he says, I want the team to sign uh, Antonio Brown and Marquise Goodwin. Interesting, considering that I don't think wide receiver is Seattle's problem. You got DK Metcalf. You just extended uh, Lockett. And now you're trying to bring in Antonio Brown, who wasn't the AB that we saw in Pittsburgh. He he wasn't the straw that stirred the drink in Tampa Bay. Um, 
Tampa Bay, who's in the business of re-signing everyone, apparently, has not re-signed Antonio Brown. Um, but Wilson wants Antonio Brown, and he wants Marquise Goodwin. And, and so it, it all... It, your defense is in shambles since you signed your contract. Since you and, and by all means, go get your money. But your defense is lacking because they don't have the money because a, a large chunk of that money is in your contract. You complained earlier in the offseason about your offensive line and how you're getting sacked a lot and, and refuse to take any of that blame, being that maybe you hold the ball too long. But instead, you want to go get another wide receiver. This is why some players are not cut out to be general managers. This is not fantasy football. This is not Madden. Seattle doesn't need another wide receiver. Seattle needs offensive line help, and Seattle needs help on defense. Yet, Russell Wilson wants them to go sign Antonio Brown, who can neither play defense nor block anyone. Russell Wilson gets the D. The failing grade, the F, it pains me to hand this out. And it goes to my Atlanta Braves. The Atlanta Braves offense gets an F. Just the offense. Because, quite frankly, the pitching staff has been fantastic. Uh, The Braves offense in three games after getting swept by the Phillies, which you really could not afford to do, especially with... um, Washington's first series getting getting canceled due to COVID problems, and I hope everything is all right. Because now you got to face their big three, uh, and you're already 0-3. You're already 0-3. The pitching staff seemed to have everything figured out. The starters uh, go, they all three have pitched, Five. Anderson, Morton, Freed all pitch five innings. Uh, Morton gave up the most, but he gives up three earned. Freed gives up two. Anderson gives up one, which was a home run. They each only strike out, or they each walk only two batters apiece. Anderson has seven Ks. Freed has eight Ks. Morton has five Ks. And yet, and the bullpen was lights out. But the offense, the offense gets an F. Because I I don't understand how the Braves can have the players that they have, and yet we have, through three games, 12 hits. And not only that, Braves have 12 hits, and there's 35 total strikeouts, seven of which are only Marcelo Zunas, to five walks. Five. Ian Anderson... The Braves' third starter has more hits than all-star second baseman Ozzie Albies and reigning National League MVP Freddie Freeman. And that's against the Phillies. Braves are now 0-3. You're going into a matchup with the Nationals, and you got to face Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. And you're already 0-3, and you're at the bottom of what's probably the most competitive division in baseball, and you're off. You, you can't be late to the party. You, Ann Anderson, your third starter, cannot have the highest batting average on your team right now. Travis Darno, and Travis Darno has one home run. He's tied for the most home runs on the team 
with Pablo Sandoval. Yes, that Pablo Sandoval. No, not Ronald Acuna Jr., not Ozzy Albies, not Marcelo Zuna, not Freddie Freeman, not Austin Riley, not all of the power bats that we have in the lineup. No, 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 no. It's Travis Darno, who at times can can have a little bit of pop in his bat, and Pablo Sandoval, who has one at bat on the year. The Braves offense gets an F, and they've got to figure this out. They have to. Because this is the Braves cannot strike out this much. Not in this division. Not in a division that has Aaron Nola, Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard is coming back, Zach Wheeler. I mean, you cannot strike out as much as the Braves are striking out. This offense has to figure it out. And it pains me. I'm a Braves fan. I want it to work out. But right now, they are having some problems. So I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring my guest on for today. Like I've said earlier in the podcast, he was my college roommate. Um true story. <laughs> Robert, what's going on, man? Look at, How's it going, man? Oh Doing it's well. Oh, tons of fun, tons of fun. So true story about uh Robert, who's not just a guest on the podcast today. Robert, uh I, t- I messed my knee up in a pickup game of basketball in college, and I'm pretty sure Robert carried me about three-fourths of a mile back to the dorm room. It was probably very strange-looking to everyone that drove or walked by because he just cradled me like a, like a small infant. <laughs> hey, you know, you got, you got to go the extra mile for your friends. Like, uh, you know, you got, a, you got a friend in distress. I'm not just going to leave you on the, the side of the basketball court. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it, I, I would imagine Robert wasn't shooting well that night because if I if I know Robert, if he was having a good shooting night, he wasn't coming off the floor. <laughs> oh, man. So, Robert, I got you on the podcast today. So, Robert's a big Panthers fan. Robert's a big North Carolina basketball fan. Um, and two major things to those two teams have happened. He's also a big Hurricanes fan who I told y'all earlier in the year going to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, but we're not going to talk Hurricanes. Not today. Uh Panthers make a trade for a quarterback. Carolina basketball gets a new head coach. Uh, this is kind of a big day in Robert's sports fandom life. Uh, so, Robert, what do you think about the Panthers' new quarterback, Sam Darnold? Uh, is he going to be the Panthers' starting quarterback next year? And are you excited about it? Oh, man. Well, hey, you said it. It was a big day. It was a big day for uh, for those of us that love Carolina sports of all kinds. I, I will say if we're, if we're starting with the Darnold move, you know, I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, uh, I had mixed feelings there. I think, um, yeah, I was listening to you earlier, uh, get, get your perspective on it, Dwayne. I think, uh, I think that pretty much, pretty much matches mine. I think, you know, he, uh, came in with a lot of hype, right? Uh, top five pick. Yeah. Uh, you know, people were saying that he could, could be one of the best quarterbacks that's come through in years. And, uh, I think he just didn't have the right situation there uh, in, in New York. I mean, he did, didn't have a good roster. Didn't have a lot of offensive playmakers. Played for Adam Gase. Um, played for Adam Gase. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's really hard to separate the train wreck that is Adam Gase versus the train wreck that has been Adam, uh, uh, Sam Darnold. Start to Sam Darnold's so, career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think, um, I, I think you know, we give him a fresh shot. He, he's a young player, right? He's 23. Still on his rookie deal. I think, you know, 
still on his rookie deal, so mm-hmm. you get him at a discount. Get him, get him a lot cheaper than we got Teddy. That's for sure. Old two gloves. And um, you know, I, I think I, I don't necessarily have high hopes for him. Uh, him being the long term guy, you know, I think uh, we were texting earlier, Dwayne. I think I, I look at him as another bridge quarterback. I think you might be a little more optimistic on his on his ceiling than. You know than I am. I just I don't see I don't see Sam Darnold as a confetti quarterback. I don't think he's I don't think he's going to be winning any championships. But uh, you know I I think he could take over the starting job for maybe a year or two. I think this just delays the maybe the need to get a starting a true starting QB for another year or two. But um, yeah, ultimately I really don't see too much of a, a difference there between him and him and Teddy. I don't think I think Darnold I think Darnold takes guy. more chances than Bridgewater does. I think Bridgewater, Bridgewater, watching Bridgewater last year, and this isn't this is me being attempting to be objective because I'm a Falcons fan. Everybody that listens to my podcast knows I'm a Falcons fan. Um, Bridgewater seems like he wants to see his wide receiver open before he throws the ball, as opposed to throwing his wide receiver open. And Darnold, I think, yeah. is just gonna. I don't think Darnold's ever seen a double team he didn't think he could fit the ball into. Uh, so well, we just gotta get we gotta get Darnold to stop seeing ghosts. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, as long as you, you guys got the Patriots on your on your uh, schedule this year, because you should be all right. If there's no <laughs> apparently the Patriots, well, we need to call in an exorcist or something. I, I don't know, but he's he's, he's really gonna have to uh, have to step up his, his game there. I think add Ghostgate, yeah, you know, add Ghostgate to all of the ways Bill Belichick cheats. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Bring into the stadium. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that's a good point, right? I mean, Teddy Teddy's definitely been a good game manager. I think, uh, you know, even even last year when uh, we were having some struggles as a team, I don't think you could necessarily point and say it was all all Teddy in any of those games. Like, yeah. uh, you know, maybe if you look at the years before when the wheels were really coming off of the Panthers, uh, you know, not to bring Cam Newton too far into the conversation, but I think you could look at some of the, the real problems that you the can- Panthers had you know, the last few years and yeah. say a lot of those were, were just Cam not, not performing well. I think, I think Teddy, I think he's a good quarterback. I just don't see him as a long-term solution anywhere. You know, you, you said maybe going back to, to New Orleans, I think that, that'd be interesting to see. And I mean, he did, he did definitely win there given a limited sample size, but I still don't know that we know who Teddy is. I don't know that Teddy given a full season under the helm at, in New Orleans, whether or not that would be, um, a successful team, you know. I mean, they're 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 good enough to make the playoffs with just about anybody a quarterback. But you know, I, I don't know. I'm not convinced that Teddy's a, a long term a long term oh, winner. So from that standpoint, yeah. you know, it's it's good to see them do something at quarterback there by getting Darnold. Do you think so? If Darnold's the guy, do does because I, I mentioned it earlier, Darnold has a bit of an injury history. So is there, in your mind, as a fan of the Panthers, or if you were the GM of the Panthers, do you keep both quarterbacks? Or, or do you try to find someone that's willing to take Bridgewater? Yeah, you know, I, I think so. And I'm not as well-versed into what the cap implications would be if they were to, you know, cut uh, like a Teddy Bridgewater or anything. I, I think they'll probably end up, and, and I don't know that there's a real market to trade him out there uh, or to trade for him, but I, I think... The Bears like mediocre is. quarterbacks. Hey, yeah, there you go. I, I, I heard Russell Wilson was in the talks there for a little bit back when that whole uh, saga came up. That yeah. would just have been a, a bad move for Russell Wilson's career, I think. Yeah, but, but yeah, yeah no, so, I think um, 
Panthers. I think, I think Darnold could be could be an interesting uh, interesting fit for him long term. It's it, it will it's going to be interesting. the The question will be: Can he be better than Jameis? Because uh, that was cool. that was the guy that I thought made sense yeah. for the Panthers to go get. I was like, you got burners on the outside with DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, and you got a quarterback on the market that doesn't like the check down at all. Uh, and I thought yeah. Jameis would have been a perfect fit, but I don't know. We're going to see. So let's move. Oh, let me ask you one more Panthers question. Mike Davis yeah. goes to, Mike Davis goes to the Falcons. Objectively, okay. objectively, because again, you're a Panthers fan. Good move for the Falcons or, or no? I well, thought it was. I mean, I, watching what Mike Davis did after McCaffrey was out. Right. But as a guy oh, who yeah. watched more Panthers games than I did, because I watched two of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it depends on – I don't know the details of the contract. I think it depends on what you guys paid for him. But, I, you know, I mean, he was a wrecking ball last year. Really, really helped Carolina, like, even just stay in the hunt. I think um, – I don't know. Are you guys bringing back uh, Todd Gurley? Is he? Are you guys, are you guys continuing uh, down? Todd that Gurley's club? still a free agent, uh, and I don't. Right. I, I think he's talked about it. Uh, <laughs> you, if you read between the lines, he might want to come back. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I. It's hard to gauge what the Falcons are doing right now because when Thomas Dimitrov was there, it was easy to figure out what the Falcons were going to do. We were going to draft speed. And we were going to re-sign guys way long. We were going to keep guys longer than we should. But with Fontenot yeah. there, it's Fontenot's known as a roster builder, and he's let some guys go already. Let Keanu Neal go. He let KZ go. Um, so I have no idea. Signs Mike Davis. I have I have no idea if Todd Gurley's coming I, back I, or not. I like it. I like it, man. I, I like Mike Davis. I think he, uh, he 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 deserves a shot to be the guy somewhere. So if that's what they're going to give him in Atlanta, I, I will be intrigued to see you know, what they do next year. I think, you know, you look at the recipe for success in Carolina, they really didn't ask them to do too much, you know, just feed them the ball. But the game was never necessarily on, you know, Mike Davis. It was more, hey, I mean, there weren't a lot of expectations, right? He was always looked at as the backup to CMC. And it was a pleasant surprise. So I'll be be definitely intrigued. And uh, unfortunately, rooting against him being that, you know, he's going to be on the – The 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 evil empire. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I the – I don't know. He, he was the backup to Christian McCaffrey. Now he's coming in with an offensive coordinator who was Derrick Henry's offensive coordinator last year. So, I mean, I'm not, sure. I'm not you'll, asking. You'll, I'm what? Uh, you'll, you'll enjoy watching him run some people over. I'll say that. Absolutely. If if the Falcons, let me, I, I lied when I said I had one more Panthers question. <laughs> if the Falcons weren't picking fourth, if it was any other team that was not in the Panthers division. Are the Panthers trading up to four to draft a quarterback? You know, I think it just depends on who they really like coming out of this class, right? I mean, I think with the Niners jumping up, I think you pretty much got a set scenario of three quarterbacks running off the board. I don't know that you want to be the fourth team in that equation, just sort of waiting to see who falls to you, uh, be it a Justin Fields or Trey Lance. I think, you know, it looks pretty set that Lawrence and, and Wilson will go one, two, but. Um, I think you know, Matt I think Jones is going third. I really do. Yeah, I it, believe that rumor. It could be. It could be. You know, and then it opens up the equation, you know, who's to say that maybe like Trey Lance might not be there come pick number eight for the Panthers. And that would be really crazy if they, 
what's going to be what's so what's going to be interesting to me is is this scenario which is completely plausible right let's say it goes lawrence wilson mac jones one two three atlanta stays at four and takes kyle pitts jamar chase go jamar Jamar chase goes at five to cincinnati um who miami gets a wide receiver at six I forget who's picking seventh. Um, uh, but, but even even in that scenario, you have Justin Fields and Trey Lance both on the board at seven, which it is. I'm gonna look that up. I should the Lions. So the Lions aren't taking a quarterback. They just traded for Goff. So right. the Panthers hypothetically could be sitting there at eight with Fields and Lance both on the board. Yet you have two quarterbacks on your roster. One of yeah, which is getting plays out. I think if it plays out that way, like you, you go with who you think can can lead you to prominence long term. And yeah, I've already said I don't. I don't think either of the guys on the roster are the answer long term for Darnold and, and and Teddy. There, I think if you got a chance to get a guy that you think can be the guy, you know, go get him. I mean, there's there's nothing more valuable than a, a starting quarterback in the NFL. And like I, I would think I like Justin Fields, but the two personally, I think if Justin Fields is there. At eight, I would have zero problem with us going up and getting them. I think he's a he's a proven winner, you know, throughout his whole career. So, um, yeah, I, I would be very happy with that outcome. I, I think. I you think just Kyle Pitts for the Falcons, man. I mean, what do you think? You, you think uh, you think they're not going QB there at four? I don't think they should. I just don't. Right, so you're still you're still believing in Matt Ryan long term. I think I think for now. I, I so I'm yeah. I, if. And I've talked about it on the podcast before. I'm not a big Justin Fields guy. I don't. I think Justin Fields is a one-read quarterback. Um, and I don't think that type of quarterback works in the NFL. I'm not a Mac Jones guy. Um, I'm intrigued by Trey Lance, but I don't think Trey Lance is ready to play. I think it's going to take two, three years for Trey Lance to be ready to play. Um and so I, 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 I know, I mean, I know no team plans to pick in the top five. And if you're picking in the top five and you have the opportunity to take a quarterback, you should. Is there, could I see Atlanta taking a quarterback? Yes. Are there a lot of 6'6", 250 pound, 4'4", speed guys with a 7'3", wingspan available that can catch the ball pretty well? Right. That guy doesn't exist. <laughs> that guy doesn't yeah, come around you know, often. They, they say he's a generational talent. I mean, so I don't think you could go wrong with and there, and Julio but, uh, and Julio's not. And I mean, let's call it what it is. Julio's one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. He's got injury problems at this point in his career, and he's getting older. Like he's not going to be around forever. And if you get a guy yeah. like Kyle Pitts, you have Calvin Ridley, who can take Julio's spot, and then you take Kyle Pitts and you groom him to be what Tony Gonzalez was for Matt Ryan. And you draft a quarterback later on. I could see Atlanta taking a quarterback in round three, four, a project guy that you can sit behind Matt Ryan, a guy like Jamie Newman from Wake Forest or Georgia or whatever school he's going to claim. A guy like Kyle Trask from Florida. Um, A guy that you can sit and work on. Um, Ian Book from Notre Notre Dame. I, I, I yeah. think there are guys out there that you can – Atlanta has a lot of needs, and I don't think 
with as many needs as Atlanta has, taking a backup, I, I mean, a la Green Bay. Green Bay had need, you know, granted Green Bay was in a lot better position than the Falcons were, but Green Bay trades up, drafts a backup quarterback, and turns out that if they had picked another wide receiver, they're much more competitive in the in the playoffs. So I, I just, I don't, I, with as many needs as the Falcons have, I just don't see it. I don't see a reason for them to take a backup quarterback at four. Yeah. We'll see how it shakes out. You know, teams, teams do love to do that, uh, you know, get, get a replacement in there and let them learn for one or two years. So you, know, you never know. They could definitely go that route. I just think, you know, if you don't have a quarterback that you think you can win with at the highest level, I never have a problem going out and getting a guy that you do think could be the winner. And I, I don't know. You, maybe you got a different sense on Matt Ryan, but I just, I, I, if I were a Falcons fan, I would just be tired of seeing seeing him under center every week. Just the same. It seems like it's the same thing every year. I mean, he's a, he's a good, serviceable quarterback, but if you, you think the Falcons can win a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan, and I guess I should be careful how I phrase that, but because they almost did, but. I feel like I feel like that was I feel like that was one hundred percent on purpose. <laughs> that was one hundred percent on purpose. All right, so we're gonna get away from the NFL talk since we're <laughs> since we're drifting down twenty eight three road, uh, and let's get into uh, Carolina basketball. So Roy Williams retires. Um, shocking to you or no? When you when you heard it. I don't know if I can say I was shocked. I mean, I, I think anybody that's a, a UNC fan and has seen, I mean, Roy Williams has had his, his struggles, uh, I think, physically, you know, over the last five, six years. I think it, like, he collapsed. Didn't he collapse on the court one t- at yeah. last year? Yeah. You know, he, get, he gets those bouts of, uh, like, vertigo and just, I don't know. I mean, I just, you look at Roy, I, this, this is just my take. I mean, you look at Roy and you look at Coach K, I think K's, like, technically a year older, but. Just for some reason, K seems to be in much better physical shape. Maybe it's that he dyes his hair. I, that might just really, uh, really throw me off. But I don't know. You know, I just always looked at Roy, and, and really for the last few years, I've kind of been wondering, you know, when is going to be hit the time and when is it going to be enough? But, you know, I, I think you really have to look at the changes to the transfer portal uh, and one you know, and done. image and likeness and sort of what that's going to do to college basketball. I think – I think you, you sort of read between the lines from what Roy said. I think that's probably the biggest reason he's uh, he's he's trying to move on. He's just he, he's an old school guy, and there's some I, you some know what, and I coming. and I thought and and to be honest with you, I th- and I don't think Coach K is going to be at Duke much longer. But I think a lot of it has to do with the way Roy Williams and, and Coach K and guys from that era coach. They're they're hard nosed. And you can see it in the way Roy Williams coaches on the floor. And he's in your face. And I don't know if players nowadays like that. And I don't know if it's because of just the generation. Um, I mean, I had some pretty mean things said to me while I played sports growing up. Um, And I just kind of got, I used it as motivation. But now it seems like kids get their feelings hurt. And they want to transfer. They join the transfer portal. Or, you know, the one-and-done rule has given players um, a lot of power. Um, And I don't know if older older school coaches like Roy Williams, like Mike Krzyzewski, necessarily like how much power the players have now. Um, And I don't know. I I agree with you. I think it's a majority of it had to do with Roy's health. 
but I don't think the landscape of college basketball um, was leaning. I think it was leaning more towards, you know, Roy was out of touch with today's type of player. To be honest with you, I Roy Williams' offense was starting to feel out of touch and predictable with the way basketball is going. Um, well, and I, I think it's even, I mean, you got, you got to look at like the, the cliche Roy Williams is like, you know, run and gun and, you know, you, they're trying to score 50 fast break points a game. But you, you really look at the UNC teams from the last two seasons and they haven't been that. They've been much more dominant in the low post. And yeah. you look at the 2017 championship team and they've been, they were 100% led that year by the big man. And I think, and I think Roy's coaching style has even evolved. It's not that he hasn't always been good at coaching big men, but it, that really became sort of the key focal point for him over the last four or five years was just, well, let's just see how much we can pound it inside and, and get 20 offensive rebounds a game. And, and it doesn't matter how bad we shoot. Dump it into so, the post and look for the backdoor cut. Uh, yeah. But no, I think, you know, going back to just in general, sort of why, why Roy left. I mean, I agree with you. I think, you know, again, you look at Roy's career and he comes from that school of, you know, my guys, when I recruit them, I'm looking at them as long-term investments. Yeah. I'm planning on three, four five years with these players and yeah we might sprinkle in a one and done here or there but you know Roy's always going to have his core of five six seven eight role players that he wants to get to the upper classmen where they can really contribute and then a, a limited number of, of guys that are going to leave as freshmen and sophomores I just think that model um just, just it doesn't really exist anymore at least for talented um players and, and and now when you add in the fact that those guys that you try to keep in the rotation you know for maybe two three years and then and then they become the guy their junior year their senior year those guys now can transfer i mean they, you, you've now added a whole separate path maybe they weren't good enough to go to the nba but they might not want to sit for for two or three years and i think it just it, it changes the equate i think if you look at it from the purely competitive standpoint of roy williams i, I don't know that he believes that he has the model anymore to compete in in today's college basketball I mean, you look at his press conference that's sort of what he said i mean he didn't think he was the right guy uh, for the job anymore and i think yeah. that's a big part of it what's always worked for him is it isn't really a thing anymore because guys just aren't going to stay there stay at a university for four or five years in most cases well it's crazy to think if you had to guess and don't google it how many one and dones <laughs> And I and I actually looked this up as a question planning to ask you. How many one and dones do you think Carolina has had in history? Oh, I mean, I think it's a, probably a, a healthy number. I, I'll throw out, uh, I don't know, 20, 25. Six. Oh, that's way lower than I thought, obviously. Six. Yeah. No, seven. I'm sorry. Cause, no, 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 six. I was right. I was right. I just counted again. Six. Wow. Uh, Marvin Williams, Brendan Wright, yep. Tony Bradley, yep. Nasir Little, Kobe White, Cole Anthony. Six. Mm. That's crazy, right? You think that program is, like crazy. you think of a program like North Carolina, but it kind of goes back to what you were saying where Roy seemed to think of his guys as let's build a program. Let's build a it wasn't like Calipari where let's put this together for one year. We're going to be dominant. And then you guys are all going to leave. Like Roy was like, let's put together a group of guys who can be great for two to three years. <laughs> um, and that wasn't, that's not a thing anymore. Um, so I think that contributed to a couple names that when the job first came open, and then we're going to get into Hubert Davis and your thoughts on Hubert Davis. Um, 
I thought Porter Mosier from Loyola, Chicago. Um, I would have at least talked to Mark Few, but I don't think Mark Few was ever going to leave Gonzaga. Uh, Mick Cronin at UCLA, I would have reached out to. Um, uh, and then Jerry Stackhouse and Wes Miller. Like th- That was my list of guys. Um, and then maybe if Brad Stevens was interested in, in leaving the pros, but I, I don't think you just leave the pros to come back to college ball. But... And I had really, once Porter Mosier took the, once Mosier took the job at Oklahoma, I was like, okay, that's weird. Um, so then I, then I, I was like, maybe it really is just, they're looking at Carolina guys. So I said, you know, you got Stackhouse who coached in the G League and has NBA ties. And you want to talk about a guy who, that's a recruiting tool. I mean, look at Penny Hardaway. Like, I, I got NBA, yeah. I, I got NBA ties. Like I can get you to where you want to be. Um, so I thought Stackhouse and then, you know, I'm here in Greensboro and Wes Miller is doing a great job. Carolina guy played for Roy is doing a great job here at UNCG. And those, I really thought it was going to be, I, I was pretty sure it was going to be one of those two guys. And then I saw it today. It's Hubert Davis who shout out to Hubert Davis. Uh, first, yeah. First African-American to ever have the chance to, to lead that storied program and to be able to do that in the South is, is a big deal. Um, but I was shocked. I really was. And I don't know if it's because I'm not a Carolina fan. Like did Carolina fans have Hubert Davis as a realistic option to be the next head coach at Carolina? Yeah. You know, I'll I'll be honest. And I I was texting you this before the game. I mean, I, I, if I was a betting man, I, I certainly would have bet on Hubert Davis, but I think that's, I think that's mainly UNC fans that would have that perspective and only because, you know, if you do follow the program closely, I mean, I remember back when they hired Hubert Davis was like 2012, 2013. Yeah. 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 I mean, when they hired him, I remember sort of the, the knowledge on the street or what everybody was talking about is this is a pure move to sort of groom him as the next guy. And I thought it was a little strange then, just given that he didn't have a ton of coaching experience. Um, and so, I mean, we go past the last, you know, nine years or whatever it's been. And I, so it doesn't, it doesn't really surprise me that they, they stuck with that plan to name him the guy. I guess, if anything, I'm more sort of disappointed that they didn't try to at least make the call. You know, you threw out Mark Few's name. I mean, I, if I had a wish list, I mean – I don't know Mark Lewis or Mark Few would be yeah. at, the, at the top of that list, but I, I just think UNC is one of those programs. I just don't think they call those guys, which is the most frustrating I, thing. I don't I even really, know that they really reach out. I, I really think UNC is one of those jobs where they're they're only going to have a Carolina guy in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which for sure is a. I mean, it, it, Carolina's a storied program. It's not like that 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 blueprint hasn't worked. But I thought Porter Moser was going to be the guy. I, I really, I thought at first I thought it was going to be that guy, and then when Moser took the job at Oklahoma, I said, okay, it's gonna, they're going to go back. It's going to be a Carolina guy, and yeah. I didn't see it being Hubert Davis. And the reason being, and again, shout out to Hubert Davis. I hope he does a great job because again, it's great from a civil rights perspective. Um, but I, I think you're going to have the same issue that Roy had with Hubert Davis in being able to connect with these new age, younger players. Um, yeah, you know, and I, and I think I think that's a good point. And I'll really be interested to see what Hubert's style in that position ends up being. And I think that, to me, is the biggest 
um, maybe area of caution for me with Hubert Davis and probably a lot of UNC fans is we just don't know. I mean, ultimately, yeah. it's like Hubert Davis, in the, in the time that he's been there, he's been very behind the scenes. I, I honestly don't think I've seen him sort of speak or, or do any kinds of press conferences or, or really um, be a name or face of the program in the time that he's been there. And, uh, you know, again, that just might be um, sort of the, the path that Roy wanted to take. Maybe he was doing his own sort of grooming there. I think when you look at it from a – uh, 30,000 foot view. I mean, you can't get any better than playing under Dean Smith as, as Hubert did. And yeah. then, I mean, you talked about the NBA career for Stackhouse. I mean, Hubert played uh, over 10 seasons in the NBA. So I mean, he's got that resume as well. And I think um, then to be groomed directly by Roy for the last nine years or, or whatever it is, I think he, he brings a, a great resume to the table. I just, for, for your, you're talking about one of the top five probably coaching jobs in all of college basketball i just would have liked to see somebody that yeah that had coached that had been a head coach before that's my Uh, biggest thing so i sort of lean towards maybe west miller in that in that case but i I was realistically and and it was very temporary but i i was legitimately afraid that carolina would consider calling pastner and you know I'm a you know my people that listen to my podcast know I'm a tech fan, but especially after this year, after this tech team won, I was like, I mean, hey, he took a yeah, Georgia Tech team that was day, was supposed to be really bad, and they won the ACC, and then maybe he is a good coach, and and uh, but then that then I was like, not with the names that are out there, but. They end up going with All Hubert right. Davis, so that's going to be interesting. So, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. Before I let you go, I gotta I gotta get your prediction for the the championship game tonight. Is it? Well, before right, you buddy. give me the prediction, before you give me the prediction, was that a charge? And I know you know what I'm talking about. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. You're talking about the the <laughs> game changing charge they called on uh, on UCLA. Yeah, was yeah. it a? I think, I, in my personal opinion, and you know how I play basketball, I think, no, that was not a charge. Because if you look at the play, uh, you know, the UCLA player was trying to move away from Contact, Kimmy. yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just thought that was uh, – but in, in today's game, in today's college basketball, let's be honest, it's going to be a charge every time. They, everything's a charge. Would, would I have gotten ejected if I was Mick Cronin? <laughs> oh, for sure. I mean, you probably would have been ejected before that play even happened. Probably. Probably. <laughs> All right. All right. So, yeah, let me get your prediction. Big game tonight. Gonzaga, Baylor. It's it's two years in the making, arguably. Big time matchup. A lot of people felt Baylor was the only team that could beat Gonzaga. Uh, then yeah. UCLA puts a scare into them. Uh, your thoughts on the game for tonight. Who you got? Final score. Uh, I tell you what, I just I hope it's a good game. We we were supposed to have it earlier this year, and you know, COVID, uh, COVID, Sucks. I think uh, outbreak sort of moved, made it, uh, you know, made it not happen. But I, I'm excited. I think Gonzaga has been the team all year, so I'm going to keep riding with Gonzaga. I think uh, it's, it's finally their time to to get a, a championship banner hung up there in Spokane. But um, I, I'm not sleeping on Baylor either. They they got if, if Baylor can get hot and shoot the three. Uh, like they have in a lot of their games this year, I think it's going to be a very good game, and I, and I think they've got a good shot. But you just look at Gonzaga and the, the, just the total roster they have and the n- number of offensive weapons. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll take Gonzaga. 
I got, I got, you got Gonzaga big, or is it a close game? I think it's close. I think it's close. See, I, I, I think the, I think that game against UCLA was the wake up call Gonzaga needed. I think that's one of those like mm-hmm. now you know you can be beat. So let's go out there and be dominant. I think Gonzaga wins by double digits. I got Gonzaga by at least 10 over Baylor. Plus, it also has a lot to do with Baylor's style of play. Um, Sorry, I'm looking at the comments on Facebook. (laughs) Um, uh, I think it has a lot to do with Baylor's style of play. They live and die by the jump shot. Gonzaga plays good defense. Um, I got Gonzaga big. I think think it's going to be... I think it'll be close for about the ha- about the 30 minutes. And then that last 8 to 10 is when Gonzaga will start to pull away. So We'll see, man. I'm going to be honest. I'll probably be asleep for that last 8 to 10 minutes. What, what are they doing with the nine 9.30 start time for this game? I mean, come on. I mean, it's two teams in the West. I mean, you got to Spokane. And... Uh, East, East Coast runs everything. You know this. I know this, but I don't know. I guess you cater to the where the fan base is, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It can't be good for the players. I mean, they got to be living by, I mean, at this point, they're living by East Coast time. So they've been in Indiana this whole time. So it's going to be late night for them too. I don't know. Should be interesting. But man, I appreciate you coming on a podcast. Going to definitely going to have to have you on again. We'll talk uh, when the Hurricanes get close to that that Stanley Cup. We'll we'll have you back on to talk Canes. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks again. Hey, that's my boy Robert. Like I said, college roommate. Uh, everybody, let me just let me throw it out there. Uh, Evan Tanner, proud sponsor of the podcast, gave me this microphone so that uh, the audio issues I was having with the first couple of episodes would hopefully stop. Uh, and my fiance are bugging me to tell you about how fun spike ball is. Yes, we played spike ball um, last. Last night, um, it is actually a very difficult game to play, and my fiance is probably could go straight to the pros uh, based on what we all saw yesterday. Um, but yes, I needed to throw out a spike ball comment uh, again, brought to you by Evan Tanner, who gave me this microphone, and my fiance, aka my better half. Um, yeah, we played spike ball yesterday there in the comments telling me talk about spike ball. So there we go. All right, our lesson for today, we're going to get a quick lesson uh, after our co-teacher was in today. And that is, uh, after the bank shot, is Jalen Suggs or is Cade Cunningham the number one overall pick in the NBA draft? I'm saying, if it's me and I'm picking... Still Cade Cunningham. It's still Cade Cunningham. I've consistently said that Cade Cunningham is Ben Simmons with a jump shot. 6'8 point guard, um, averaging four assists a game. He's averaging 20 points, six rebounds while shooting 44% um, and 40% from three. He's Ben Simmons with a jumper. Um, He can drive to the lane. He can post up on smaller guards. If you back up off of him, he can shoot. He's quick with the basketball. He makes good decisions. Um, he's got to sure up that turnover. He does have a bit of a turnover problem. Um, as far as I think he trusts his passing ability maybe a little too much. Um, feels like he can fit that basketball into very small, uh, tight 
windows um, and still will try to force those passes. Um, this is not to say that Jalen Suggs is not good. Uh, Jalen Suggs, 6'4", uh, averaging 14, 5, and 5. He's shooting 50% from the field. Um, has a low, So he's, he's shooting better from the field than Cade Cunningham. However, you can't focus your defense on Jalen Suggs because of the other weapons that Gonzaga has. Cade Cunningham is getting the focus, and he's still averaging 20. Um, same could be said about Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs is averaging 14 instead of 20 because he has all of these other players around him. But would Jalen Suggs' numbers be a little less if the defense was able to solely focus on Jalen Suggs? That is the question. I think it's a combination of his height, his ability to play multiple positions, uh, positional flexibility in the NBA is becoming very big, very popular. Um, and the the thought of Ben Simmons with a jump shot should be scary to um, several several teams as far as defenses go. So um, I think that that's a big one. I think it's going to be close. I think you can't go wrong with either guy. Uh, but Kettingham does average more points, averages more rebounds, um, averaging fewer assists. But again, that could be because of the talent on that Oklahoma State team versus the talent on this Gonzaga team. Um, it's going to be interesting to see as we go towards the NBA draft who uh, gets picked and where. Uh, but time to hand out detention. Women's college basketball referees, you got detention. It, it, it didn't take um, Jesus healing the blind man for that blind man to see that that was a foul in the Connecticut-Baylor game. Um, it was obvious. She, she gets um, a Mike Tyson jab to the face, followed by having to block the follow-up punch with her forearm. Um, by two different people. She got jumped. She got mugged. She, I'm pretty sure she lost her wallet um, as a result of this absolute mugging. The police needed to be called um, because it was an assault. Um, and anyone that watched the game was a witness to that assault. And that's a foul. And women's college basketball officiating needs to get better. That's not the first call they missed throughout this tournament. Um, women's college basketball... It is a fun game to watch until you see how poorly officiated it is. And something needs to be done um, to make those two games, make the men's game and the women's game um, more equitable, more equal. So women's college basketball officiating, you got detention. That's all I got for sports school today. Shout out to uh, my sponsors, Evan Tanner again who gave me the microphone um, and who apparently very much supports spike ball as his number one favorite sport. Shout out to diamonds and pearls proud sponsor of the sports school podcast. Now a super host on Airbnb. So if you're in the Myrtle beach, sunset beach area, uh, if you like playing golf and being five minutes from the beach, Diamonds and Pearls, it's all right, on the seventh hole, a par five uh, with water 
uh, surrounded by sand right there around the green. So it's a great place to be. It's a beautiful, it's lovely. The area is lovely. You're 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes from Myrtle Beach, depending on how you drive, right down the street from Calabash, which is considered seafood capital of the world. So great eats, lots of stuff to do. Um, if you're looking for a place to stay in that region, Diamonds and Pearls, they're a sponsor sports school, sports school podcast, reference sports school um, to see if those discounts apply at the time of your trip. Shout out to Marlon versus Marlon podcast. They're the reason that we got to episode 20. Um, I'm having a blast. You guys continue to listen. Please like, please share. You're the reason that I do this. The the comments that I get, the the feedback, the interviews. If you want to be on the show, reach out to me, Facebook, Twitter, text message, whatever you want to do. But that's all I got for you. Uh, go see Space Jam 2, unless you're a child and you're in my way, because again, I've been waiting years, decades for this movie.